Welcome back to another edition of the Volunteer State Tennessee. Still undefeated. Who would have thought that at this point in the season uh, when the year began? I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside Adam Sparks and John Adams of the Knoxville News Sentinel. Tennessee coming off a thrilling 52-49 victory over Alabama to snap the 15-game losing streak for the tide uh adam uh you were you were there you covered it you you saw the scene afterwards we were just discussing before we went on air here kind of what that scene was like down on the field my goal amid all the scene on the field afterwards was not to get lit by a burning cigar accidentally i'm like please don't come away with a cigar burn uh and i managed it how would you describe um i guess sort of the moment for tennessee not only just what it means, we'll get into that more, but kind of just the, the scene and the spectacle uh, at the end there. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess as reporters, we all had sort of our strategy how to get through that. I was trying to avoid it altogether, <laughs> but then I've obviously found the value in going out there and, and witnessing some of it and reporting on some of what I saw. Here's the thing about that game. As I, I got some interesting questions from Tennessee fans over the weekend. Did Tennessee win that game or did Alabama lose that game? Because Alabama had 17 penalties, school record. If we were to say that a championship-level team like Georgia last year or usually Alabama, if we say that they get opportunities and they seize them, if we say that about those teams, I think we have to say it about this Tennessee team, not to say this is a championship team. I know we'll get to that in the pod, but you know there were a couple of instances where you said, well, Tennessee's done. They're going to get beat here, You know, particularly the scoop and score. I, you know, We saw momentum swap in the start of the second half, and you thought, okay, here comes Alabama. Then when Alabama had the scoop and score on the, on the fumble by Tennessee, you said, okay, th- this Tennessee can't come back from this. And they kept coming back, and – in, in that way, I think the roles reversed between what Alabama usually is and what Tennessee would normally be here because I think there was a hundred and plus thousand in the stadium that said uh, Tennessee's going to Tennessee here um, that they're going to give this one up in a game that they had a chance to win but it, but instead they got very small opportunities and they they seized those I mean we could name uh you know a dozen of them uh, but particularly the one where Nick Saban left too much time on the clock and took for granted the fact that Tennessee has the best offense in the country and two passes and a kick, and they did what Alabama did. And so I do think if Tennessee ends up in a really, really good spot at the end of the year, we'll look back at this game and say uh, Tennessee earned this win. Anytime your offense does what Tennessee's did to Alabama, I mean, there's there's just no doubt. There, there are a lot of four or five-star players on Alabama's defense, and Tennessee made them look like two stars, particularly when they were throwing the ball to Jalen Hyatt. It was almost as though Alabama didn't realize he was an eligible receiver. Really poor play on safety's part, I thought, for Alabama. You know, Demarcus Nellums, one of the safeties, got a lot of criticism. Justifiable. But, uh, yeah, I really thought Tennessee earned the win. Yeah, DeMarco Hellebs was was matched up on Jalen Hyatt for many of those touchdown passes. And I I guess you got to credit in some way Josh Heupel's scheme or at the very least Alabama's lack of adjustments. He kept getting his speediest receiver matched up against a safety from Alabama who had no business being matched up with Jalen Hyatt. I mean, he, he simply could not keep up with him. And, and Tennessee exploited that matchup 
time and again. And it was just so stunning to see, not that Tennessee won, um, and I know we shouldn't be surprised by anything from this offense at this point, but when you have Alabama and Nick Saban and the reputation and all that, for Tennessee to run up 52 points, I mean, I knew they were going to score in this game. I knew they'd score a lot, certainly as by Alabama's defense's standards, you know, they would score a lot against him, but I, I wouldn't have said 52 points. Um, I mean, it was, it was quite a, a quarterback duel between him and hooker and Bryce young. And I thought him and hooker had a little more support around him. Uh, you know, they had some mistakes late, but I thought overall Alabama made more mistakes when you include the special teams blunders with the penalties. And to your point, Adam, I, I, I heard some of that too from Tennessee fans of, Tennessee win or did Alabama lose it? I think you're you're dead on. Like in a season, in a special season, you're going to have to have a game or two. Usually, usually not always, but usually in a special season, you're going to have to have a game or two where the opponent, maybe a good op- opponent, helped you out a little bit, and you you took advantage and you walked through the open door and you said we're we're going to grab this this opportunity. And and like you said, Tennessee did that. And there was no better example than at the end of the game, Alabama has a field goal to win, misses, and could have got a closer field goal had Jameer Gibbs not dropped a pass on second down. It would have turned a 50-yard field goal into like a 42-yarder. Um, and then and then Tennessee has time for two plays, and they get a kick, and, and they make it. And, and, you know, I think that's a comparison of how one team capitalized on an opportunity after the other team didn't. Yeah, and I think what was startling to me was that if you if you didn't know who these two teams were and these two t- these two coaches, you would look at this game and say if you you compare them, uh, Tennessee's offense was phenomenal, Alabama's was really good. Also, both quarterbacks good. Tennessee utilized matchups better than Alabama. Um, you mentioned Jalen Hyatt, where they and they've done this since Tillman has been out. Um, Jalen Hyatt is a vertical receiver but he's playing at slot, which usually is not a vertical position. They do a lot of good things to get him matchups with nickels and with safeties. Um, they bring him in motion to make sure he's isolated, and they hit him on vertical routes where you, you've seen this game and you've seen the LSU game and so on, where he just runs past people. Uh, he's matched up with people that cannot stay with him, and Tennessee has has isolated him in very smart ways. Um, Alabama would bring Jameer Gibbs, and I think maybe a wide receiver a couple times, out, out on one side of the field isolated, and Juwan Mitchell, the linebacker, would be on him. And yet mm-hmm. they couldn't get him the ball. Um, Tennessee executed better and game-planned better than what Alabama did. On the defensive side, Tennessee gave up a ton of yards. They had a handful of, of good plays, especially early in the game. Alabama had a handful of good defensive plays, but otherwise they gave up a ton of yards. Um, I guess what I'm saying with that is, if you took the jerseys away, took the colors away, you didn't know who the coaches were, and you just watched that that game in isolation, Alabama looked like a poor man's version of Tennessee. That's what's startling to me, is that what Tennessee did, Alabama kind of also did, but just didn't do it as well. And I, I, I think maybe that has some legs beyond just this one matchup in the season. Yeah, you look what uh... – what Josh Heupel has done in back-to-back games. He just outcoached the best coach in college football. I would say the best coach in college football history in Nick Saban. And just before that, he outcoaches Brian Kelly, who's one of the best coaches in college football. I, I mean, 
Kelly even admitted that, admitted that, although it's kind of hollow. Coaches say that as though we got to coach better and that kind of thing, and they don't really believe that anybody out coached him. But but his system is ahead of the defenses, and and two things uh, that really stood out to me: it wasn't just that. I mean, the biggest thing was Alabama didn't know what to do the slot receiver, and ne- neither did LSU, but also that in in against LSU and now against Alabama LSU has two really good pass rushers Tennessee neutralized him with his offensive scheme against Alabama it took Will Anderson arguably the best defensive player in college football out of the game uh I mean what would any team try to do against Alabama's defense well we got to do how are we going to manage Will Anderson well Tennessee showed them how to do it. I don't know if they have the system or the personnel to do it, but Tennessee showed them. And and obviously, big picture, this unlocks a lot. You know, we heard from Hinn and Hooker afterwards say the goal doesn't change. The goal's been the same since January, and the goal is to get to Atlanta. Interestingly, and we talked about this on the podcast last week, like this doesn't really help Tennessee all that much in getting to Atlanta. The, the road still goes through Athens. You you need to beat Georgia to get to the SEC championship. But in terms of the college football playoff and your ranking, I mean, this unlocks all of that. Now Tennessee could get to the playoff through the front door, which would be to just keep winning, keep winning, and don't leave anything to doubt. But now I think there's a possibility even that Tennessee, if some breaks fall for them elsewhere, they could get in through the back door. If they go 11 and one with only a loss to Georgia in a few weeks and have that win over Alabama, there's a possibility we've seen it before. Alabama got in in a year where they didn't win their division. So obviously that's not the, the goal or the plan for Tennessee, but point being this unlocks a lot of potential storylines for this season, not to mention Hen and Hooker, uh, I think is, is probably the, the mid season favorite for the Heisman Trophy after what he did in this game. Not that being the midseason favorite and necessarily makes you the the winner. We've talked before so much of that award is determined by what happens in, in November and the first weekend in December. But also, John, you wrote in a column, this was the biggest upset for Tennessee football uh, since 2001 against Florida. And... Unpack that a little bit for us. Just you know, I don't know. You weren't necessarily maybe talking about point spreads, or maybe you were, but it was. It's more about what it means and and who you beat and and the signifying moment of this upset, right? I mean, the biggest biggest upset in more than twenty years for for Tennessee football. Yeah, just to me, really the the biggest win in general because it, going into the Florida game, Tennessee was seventeen to eighteen point underdog. Florida was on course to win the division, play in the SEC championship, would be the favorite and would go on and play for the national title. Uh, That put Tennessee in a position to do that. That was the last time, I think, that Tennessee was really a national player. I mean, it was right there at the doorstep of a national championship game. It was upset by LSU in the SEC championship game, but it was right there. And since then... It finished in the top five this that year, but but since then, Tennessee has it won a couple of division titles, but it it's never been 
on that national level. Now Tennessee's right there. You mentioned the possible scenarios. I, I can, you know, it, I have to go back to 2001 to to th- remember when Tennessee, when when fans needed to start looking at who's beating whom every Saturday and say, okay, we got Southern Cal out of the way last weekend. They lost. Uh, for fans to look at it from that position. Uh, yeah, it, it's just, it's like a different world. And what it's what's so odd to me is that it happens seemingly so fast. I mean, we went into this season thinking Tennessee could have a really good season. I picked him to go. I think everybody picked him about eight and four, nine and three. I picked him nine and three. And then we we're talking the other last week and, and we're talking about 10 and two now seems more viable. Uh, so a really good season playing a new year's day bow, but we, you just zoom right past that. And now Tennessee's right there in the discussion for who's going to make the college football playoffs. So it's kind of, it's kind of stunning in a way. Yeah. I, I think the, I mean, now if we look at sort of the ceiling and the floor, the ceiling is now a uh, college football playoff and that's legitimate. Um, the floor now is probably like the sugar bowl slash orange bowl. I mean, I, and maybe citrus bowl, but uh, I mean, if it, here's how people need to think about the college football playoff. If Tennessee runs the table, so beats Georgia, if they run the table and win the SEC title, they're, they're in the playoff, obviously. They're probably the one seed. If they run the table and lose the SEC title game, they're, they're still probably in pretty good position uh, to, to get into the, into the playoff. If they lose to Georgia, and so they're sitting at home for the SEC title game, but they're eleven and one, that they would likely be one of those top six, top eight teams on the last night when the playoff rankings are released with their with their fingers crossed. Of I hope we're the last one in and not the not the first one out. I, I mean, I, because as John mentioned, uh, as long as you can go at least eleven and one, so even a loss to Georgia you're you're really looking around the country to see who's jockeying for position in those top four or even top six because you know Clemson if they run the table they're in uh the Big Ten winner which would be Ohio State or Michigan let's say they're undefeated that's two if if Georgia beats Tennessee and runs the table wins the SEC that's three and then who who's the fourth? TCU's undefeated in the Big Twelve, but will will that last? Uh, UCLA probably, and the, probably not. Yep, UCLA yeah. will, will play Oregon and USC. I don't think UCLA runs the table, but they could. So you could have, yeah, you could have probably. And so Oregon may be that team there too. You have a Pac-12 team with undefeated or one loss, probably one loss. You would have TCU maybe with one loss, whoever the Big Twelve champion is. Um, you would have whoever loses the Ohio State Michigan game, and you would have Tennessee. And I mean, of course, Alabama could get in there if Alabama runs the table and and wins an SEC title game. But if Alabama were to lose SEC SEC title game, they're out because they have two losses. So th- there's there's a number of scenarios where Tennessee gets in, and it's at this point if you say they win every game except maybe Georgia. They have a better chance than not, I think, to get in. So th- this is going to be fun. Yeah, it's and and for Tennessee fans, they got to keep their head on a swivel a little bit. You know, they they should have been celebrating. Of course, many of them probably were still out celebrating and maybe didn't see it in the moment. But when USC fell to Utah on late Saturday night, it's like 
that's a feather in the cap for Tennessee. Anytime one of those undefeateds goes down now, uh, and, and again, if Tennessee wins all their games, this is all a moot point, and they're either number one or number two uh, going into the playoff. It doesn't matter. But if you if you want to leave your options open for getting in through the back door, you celebrate any time a team in USC situation goes goes down. So you're rooting against TCU in these Big 12 games, those type of, of, of scenarios. Um, and, and, you know, you wrote about this after the LSU game, Adam, and, and it was actually you were like a week ahead of everybody else. You, you started to say it's starting to feel like 98, and that came with a little bit of a caveat, I know, at that point. But now you start to remove some of those caveats when when you start looking back on this team versus Tennessee's last national championship team, the 98 team. John, you covered that team. Adam, you were living in, in Tennessee, and, and I know I watched that team as a Tennessee native. It's an interesting comparison, I guess, at this juncture of the season. And so much of college football has changed. It's a different game. But I think if this keeps going like it's going for Tennessee, this will be remembered as one of Tennessee's great teams. And obviously the 98 team is too. So from your guys' perspective, could this team beat the 98 team? Is that a fair comparison? Uh, And fair or unfair, do you think this team could beat the 98 team? The 98 team had more talent, certainly. More NFL prospects had them on both sides of the ball. However, I, I don't think it would beat this team. And a lot of that has to do with the way college football has changed because back then you, you built a team a certain way and, and that team was built to win in 1998. This team is built to win in 2022. And, and I just, I think to this, the 98 team, as good as it was, it would have a really hard time with this offense. It's state of the art of what's going on now and I don't think that 98 team could have scored enough points to keep up with this offense because even though that team had really good defensive players, really no apparent weaknesses, and a great linebacker like Al Wilson, one of the best guys ever to play for Tennessee in a strong defensive front, but we just saw what Tennessee can do to great linebackers and a strong defensive front. It just negates them with this offensive system spreads the field, goes up-tempo, and puts a tremendous burden on um, on the rest of the defense. Yeah, it, it's hard to compare them. And, I mean, it's it's been 24 years, but it seems like it's been, you know, 50 years because they're completely different eras. I mean, we have these conversations all the time in other sports of, you know uh, – you know, how would Shaq match up against Wilt Chamberlain sort of thing? You know, <laughs> how, how would how would Babe Ruth match up against Randy Johnson? Well, they're different eras, and so you have to kind of take that player or that team and put them in the context of, of, their, of their own era and leave them there. Uh, and so it's sort of hard to mix. Again, even though it's only been 24 years, it's just completely different. I mean, yeah, look at the, the way the teams were built. I agree with John. There was a, there was more talent, NFL talent, on uh, on that Tennessee team. They had recruited to get that. I think there's some interesting comparisons with those two teams because the 98 team seemed to come too late. This team has come too early or, or more than expected. You know, the 98 team was, it was kind of, it was built for the year before for Peyton Manning's senior year. And it was a surprise that it actually happened the year after that. 
this team, it's not like they they look like a national title contender in the future, but you thought, okay, Josh Apple is building something. A couple years down the road, maybe they get into this conversation, and it's coming earlier than expected. So both teams are a little bit of a surprise in their own way. I think if you look at the two teams, again, how they were built for their era, Tennessee's offense then, phenomenal offensive line. And then if you look at the running backs, Travis Henry and Travis Stevens and Jamal Lewis early on until they got hurt and, and Sean Bryson, that's a lot of talent at running back. And then you look at Tennessee now, and it's Cedric Tillman, and it's Jalen Hyatt, and it's Brew McCoy. We're talking about wide receivers and a passing offense. By the way, you can even make a little bit of comparison, I would say, that Jamal Lewis was hurt early on that year, and you said, oh, no, what, what are they going to do without him? Well, then Travis Henry pops in, and he's a 1,000-yard rusher. Um, Cedric Tillman goes out. Oh, what are you going to do without Cedric Tillman? Then this Jalen Hyde guy pops in. And so th- there are parallels between these. Um, I mean, the 98 team was just so well-rounded. It could throw the ball, and it had really good wide receivers, peerless price, no down the list. Um, it could run the ball really well, all those running backs, that phenomenal offensive line. It, its defense was better than its offense. I mean, anybody that watched Tennessee back then, you think Al Wilson, Raynock Thompson, and Eric Westmoreland, and that's just the linebacking core. That was just that front seven, even the secondary, it was loaded with talent. And so it'd be it'd be fun to watch. I mean, it would really be sort of what Georgia's team was last year versus Tennessee team this year. That's the best comparison I think that we can make. Two completely different styles um, in whichever tone of the game it took, first team to 50 or grinded out, that team would would win the game. I mean, if you look back at the 98 team and the big games that they won, they beat Florida 20 to 17 in overtime. Uh, they beat a top 10 Georgia team or top five Georgia team 22 to three. Well, Tennessee just beat a uh, number one team, Alabama, 52 to 49. That's the difference in the two eras and the two teams. They just, they're just hard to compare them at all. Whichever tone the game would take, that, that's the team that would win. And what's interesting is, you know, we've had the conversation of should Tennessee have won that game? Did Alabama give it to him? Whatever. I mean, and we said you could say that about games in a special season sometimes. And you go back to that, that 98 season, start off with the season opener there against Syracuse uh, in that season, which which Tennessee won by a, a single point. I mean, John, you remember that one. There, You could make the argument that maybe Tennessee was was fortunate to win that game in the season opener against Syracuse. So kind of goes to the point of there are games sometimes in special seasons where it's like, you know, you, maybe you catch a few breaks, but you take advantage of the breaks and, and you win the game. And then you look back on it and say, hey, that have had a hand in, in what became a a special season. Yeah, the, that team had the ability to capitalize on opportunities. That was perhaps its greatest strength. It was very fortunate, though. Usually in a championship season, as you as you pointed out, you will have one game that maybe you shouldn't win, like uh, when Colorado got that fifth down against Missouri and ended up being one of the national champions. I just think though that team had more than its share. It easily it got a very it got a late call on a pass interference to to set up that last drive against Syracuse or it was it was done for right there. Uh the famous Clint Sterner fumble for Arkansas when he braces his fall by putting the ball on the ground. I've never seen anybody do that before or since. So 
It was very fortunate. On the other hand, it had to overcome the loss of Jamal Lewis, who would have been a candidate for the Heisman Trophy if he had never never been hurt. Tennessee had good had other good running backs, but Jamal Lewis, we saw what he did in the NFL. He almost broke Eric Dickerson's single season rushing total. So yeah, and, and you look at ten, this Tennessee team. Uh, I mean it. It had to pull out a game against Pittsburgh, and it was fortunate that Pittsburgh's number one quarterback was hurt, didn't play in the second half, and the backup was limping around back there, expected him to just keel over at any time. And uh, certainly, you could say fortunate against Alabama, but it was really the better, better team. Um, so it's it had had a close call against Florida. So yeah, there are some similarities. But I just think it would be a, a great matchup in terms of style. But one other thing about that uh, 98 team and going back to the Syracuse game, Syracuse had Donovan McNabb at quarterback. And I still remember Al Wilson hitting him full force behind the line. And Donovan McNabb, when Al Wilson hit you, you went down usually. Donovan McNabb didn't go down. He just spun a little bit, took off running. It was a concern, I think, for Tennessee running quarterbacks. And if Kansas State hadn't been upset in the Big 12 championship game by Texas A&M, Tennessee would have faced Michael Bishop, their Kansas State's quarterback, who's a very good runner. So I think that defense would have had real trouble with with Hendon Hooker. Hmm. So... There are just a lot of different ways to look at it. It, it, It's fun thinking about it because I'm so familiar with that 98 team. Uh, Adam seems like says, yeah, it seems like it was 50 years ago. It it really, it doesn't seem that long ago to me because I remember players and plays from that season better than I remember plays and players from last season. Even (laughs) I'm not going to unpack all the reasons that might be the case. Well, you might have glossed over some of those plays the last several seasons, really. But uh, <laughs> guys, the, the uh, Tennessee's chest is puffed out right now for for very good reasons. But when we're talking about all these things and where the season could end up, do you guys see a way that Tennessee loses a game against in the regular season against anybody but Georgia? I mean, do you, it maybe it's, I'm still in the moment. I just don't see them losing at home to Kentucky. I, I don't, I don't, or at South Carolina, or is that just too much in the moment? No, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, Kentucky's been kind of yo-yo here the last few weeks. They got Will Levis back last week. They secured an important win against Mississippi state. I thought at home, you know, didn't do much in the first half of that game. It was a defensive slugfest. And then, and then they, they got going. Chris Rodriguez ran it well, but I mean, it was an important win for Kentucky. It was a gritty performance by Will Levis. He played through a shoulder injury. You know, now to this point in the season, he's had a dislocated finger. He's had a foot injury. He's had a shoulder injury. (laughs) I mean, good for that guy. He's a first projected first round draft pick. He could have one foot out the door right now, and he he clearly doesn't. However, I just no, I don't. I don't see Kentucky keeping up with this team. South Carolina, no. Uh, So yeah, I mean, I think for me. I'd be curious what you say about this, John. But for me, it's either Tennessee loses to Georgia or they go to Atlanta un- undefeated. Yes, yeah, so I I think when when 
when Adam brought that up, I thought of that much repeated cliche of, well, Tennessee's playing chess. Everybody else is playing checkers. That's, uh, that's how it looks to me with Tennessee's offense. When I look at a matchup, I look at a game I, and look at a team and I say, can that team score enough points? To, you're going to have to score so many points to keep up with Tennessee, which means you go, you will have to have a dynamic offense. And and we were talking earlier about different teams around the country, like teams that weren't really highlighted in preseason, like TCU and UCLA. But those are two teams with big time offenses. And, and to me, that's a must. You've got to have that kind of offensive potential to stick with Tennessee. And nobody else in the schedule does. And I don't think Georgia does either. I, I, I think I would pick Tennessee. To, if they were playing this week, I would pick Tennessee. I don't think Georgia can score enough points to beat Tennessee. And, John, if, if that happens, then Tennessee almost certainly is is going to the SEC championship where they could have to play Alabama again. This is not the knockout punch on Alabama. They could still, you know, win out here, go to Atlanta, get to the college football playoff. We saw it last year after they lost to Texas A&M. But what do we make of Alabama at this point? Because what's interesting about Saban's dynasty is so many of his, his teams never felt about just one player. But as I was watching that game Saturday, I thought, boy, if you took Bryce Young off this team, where in the world would Alabama be? And I know you could say that about a lot of teams with a lot of quarterbacks. I mean, if you took Hinton Hooker off Tennessee's team, what would Tennessee be? But I, I think Hinton Hooker has more of a supporting cast, at least than Bryce Young did. I mean, you know, he had receivers dropping well-thrown passes. They, they, they just couldn't catch it. Tennessee, uh, Alabama's defense, you know, obviously got a got exploited. I don't think it's as dominant as some of those past Alabama defenses. And and we've seen now in the past year, some things start to happen to Alabama that didn't used to happen. Nick Saban has lost to two of his former assistants and Jimbo Fisher last year loses to Kirby Smart in the national championship. Now he loses to Tennessee for the first time in his Alabama tenure. His team is starting to feel like it's uh, really it's Bryce Young. And beyond that, just sort of an okay team. What do we make of, of Alabama in this moment? And I'm not saying the dynasty's dead. Sports writers have made that mistake before. I don't want to put those words out there, but in terms of in this moment, what do we make of Alabama and, and how do they, how or can they come back from this in, in the way that, uh, you know, Alabama is expected to do? Well, the answer to your question, by the way, is is if, if you don't have Bryce Young on that team, then you're a, then you're then an Alabama team hoping Jimbo Fisher makes a terrible, play call at the end. Otherwise you lose to Texas A&M because what we saw the week before, that's what they are. Right. Nick Saban will adjust and this team will be, he'll look at this and say what the team that I thought I had, I don't have. So I'm going to adjust to the personnel that I have and I'll come back better whether or not they can be good enough to run the table from here. That's a, that's difficult to say they've done it before, but they're going to have to reconfigure because if Tennessee did meet Alabama again in the SEC title game, I think Tennessee would go in thinking we're we're better, we have a better plan. Um, they they don't know what they are. We know what we are. I, I think Tennessee would go in confident in 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 that 
in that game if they were to match up again. And I think that tells you all that you need to know about sort of the aura that's tainted a little bit with Alabama right now. Yeah, I agree. And I, I certainly would be the last one to write off Nick Saban. Uh, Adam makes a great point there. He's been this good for this long because he's he's has adjusted. It seems like Alabama never loses more than one game, but it has at times. And it usually bounces back with a fury. So we'll have to wait on that. But to your point, Blake, Bryce Young, it, Alabama's had great quarterbacks, but they Mac Jones, Tua Tagovailoa, uh, Jalen Hurts, they're all playing in the NFL, but they all were surrounded with just tremendous talent. The drop-off in, in, in receivers, to me, is the most obvious thing with Alabama, but also the defensive secondary. Well, the secondary. I, I mean, it's not of Alabama's caliber, and that's not just Tennessee's scheme. So I, I think uh, you're right. I, I, I don't – in fact, I think Tennessee, I, as hard as it might be for Tennessee fans, uh, they need to pull for Alabama. They don't need Alabama to go into Whoa. tailspin. Whoa, John. <laughs> I, I I just wrote they need to be rooting for Ole Miss. You don't want to be playing Alabama a second time. You you think they you, Tennessee should be pulling for Alabama? Let let's hear that. Let's hear it. Well, yeah, because Alabama's record, if Tennessee is the only team to beat Alabama, that raises Tennessee's status. But if Alabama, we've already seen it almost stumbled against AM, um, a very average at best A&M team, and it was beaten against te- Texas. I mean, Quinn Ewers, the quarterback for Texas, he doesn't get hurt at the end of the first quarter. I think Texas would have won that game by two touchdowns. It was really outplaying Alabama decisively. So, no, I think I look at that Ole Miss offense, and it's much more balanced than Alabama's. And I, I, I think an Alabama-Tennessee rematch I think Tennessee would win by a bigger margin. I really do. I, I mean, I'm not looking at name and image and Nick Saban's reputation. I'm just looking at what I see on the field. And Ole Miss is inconsistent. It's won all its games. Performances haven't been real level, though. But if Ole Miss is at its best, I think that would be a really tough game for Tennessee because Ole Miss can play some defense sometimes. And it's got a very balanced offense. So, yeah. But the main thing I'm thinking about is that win over Alabama looks really good. And it will, if Alabama doesn't lose again, it will look even better. Yeah, I agree with I agree with that part of that. Uh, all right, guys, it is it is mid-October. And here we had a, a whole podcast talking about uh, Tennessee getting to Atlanta, making the college football playoff, comparisons to 98. Boy, even even the loftiest projections at the beginning of the season, I don't I don't know what had that <laughs> in the conversation. But we'll continue to follow it as it goes along. Uh, Tennessee will have UT Martin this week. You can find all the coverage at knoxnews.com, and we will be back with you next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Volunteer State.